What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host, day 40 in quarantine, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Hey, man. We here. We live and we thriving. Dr. <laughs> J's The Chronic, now on Tidal and Spotify. Suck it, Apple. We out here. How's it going? Uh, what, is, what is your preferred streaming service? I pay for Spotify. Pay for Spotify. Support yeah, I think suites. Spotify is by far the superior streaming service. Uh, I saw our guy Antoine Fantano did a, a hot take video where he was saying it's superior. I don't really think that's much of a hot take, though. It's like it has like, I feel like it has the best personalization algorithms and, and, and just gener- gen- generally best public playlist stuff like that. The, the year-end stats you get. I haven't seen any really comparison from the other options. So, yeah, I think Spotify no. is pretty pretty desirable. Yeah. yeah. And I just feel like it's so user-friendly. Like, it's pretty easy to use. I think the only part that I wish was different was just the editing playlist on your phone. I wish that was a little bit more streamlined, yes. especially because I'm constantly editing our Nostalgia Best of 2020 playlist, which everybody listening should subscribe to, as well as subscribe to our YouTube page. Uh, but otherwise, I feel like it's a pretty user-friendly app. So Spotify, the superior mm. app, uh, in my opinion. Um, Dave, what do we got today? We got a couple albums, lots of TV to talk about. Yeah, Maybe, uh, maybe we'll preview a couple of... Is that new Hemsworth movie coming out next week? Probably, right? Uh, Bad Education's coming out next week, or Saturday, on HBO. That's the Corey Finley movie, the Thoroughbreds follow-up with Hugh Jackman. And Allison Janney, I believe. So I've been I've been hyped for that movie. So that's that's coming at a great time, honestly. Um, yeah, it's coming at a great time because we are starting to run low on things to talk about. So, anyways, why don't we including the baby? It's so cute. No, this the baby album, the third one in what a year at this point? Yeah, uh, fourth full length in like less than a year and a half because he had that uh, blank blank project come out in november 2018 so yeah a, a lot of output in a short amount of time from DeBaby, who has not been in the i think mainstream consciousness for much more than just that time period so it's definitely a flood the zone strategy and of course this is coming off of his uh pretty prolific feature run in 2019 as well so mm-hmm. he's uh not slowing down that's certainly for sure yeah he's putting in that work and you know he's he's really blown up i think over the past year i think when we we reviewed kirk we talked about how it seemed like him and megan the stallion were the two biggest risers from the past year you know especially like the the suge music video gained a lot of attention a lot of acclaim so the baby's profile obviously rising we were we were pretty i think i say lukewarm on kirk i think that we liked it but we were like, yeah, we think the baby can can go up a level, or or maybe should find some new, new creative avenues. Is blame it on baby his newest album a sign of growth for baby? Uh plainly no. But <laughs> he does attempt to do things a little differently in spurts. The problem is, uh, he's not a good singer, so it didn't work. <laughs> uh, no, I I think this is my least favorite of the 
four now full lengths we've gotten in the past year and a half. Blame it on baby. Uh, there's some moments for sure you still get the, you know, appealing punchline rap, the heavy bass drums that we associate with his sound. But, you know, on Kirk, the first song intro is the baby being really introspective and telling you a personal story, something he doesn't do all that often. There's no sign of that this time around. And when he's doing this, you know, the same old the baby flow, it, I don't think any of it, anything really hits that great. Nothing really rises up. I'd say, I, again, like his features last year, the way he can play with guests on this, I think were my favorite moments. But mm-hmm. overall, I found this pretty disappointing and, Unfortunately, it was just kind of reminding me of how Migos uh, recently just kind of was giving us diminishing returns after such a triumphant, you know, uh, rise. So, yeah, I thought this was pretty, pretty mediocre. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't really impressed with this too much. Um, After listening to Baby on Baby and Kirk, I was, I was expecting a little bit more from this. And I I think that was a bit naive of me because I think really, what we're seeing is the baby riding a wave right now. And the wave is just very samey. And that's kind of how I felt listening to this album a lot. It, it, other than when the, the features kind of jumped in and baby would play off them and inject a little bit of life. And I kind of found myself feeling like a lot of these songs sounded very similar and even baby's flow, especially in like the first half of the album, he starts to switch it up, but I feel like it's very much the same type of cadence throughout. And I'm just like, mm-hmm needs a little needs a little uh i don't know a little spicing uh, up of this right different you know like a song like find my way he's using a different vocal inflection but it's still the same flow so who cares (laughs) you know and you'd like he he has like i think solid technical ability and he's pretty good on the mic you'd think he'd be able to diversify this so it doesn't seem like he's just tried that hard at this point you know Mm -hmm. um and yeah the uh the attempts to try and get a little more melodic, I think just completely fall flat. I think there's one moment where he sounds okay, but um, that's certainly, I think not the direction to go. And I think (laughs) to make matters worse, uh, even I think Roddy Rich wasn't even that good on his feature on this, but um, I think the two, two songs that jumped out to me were uh, jump with NBA young boy. I actually liked how they tried treated verses but that, that chemistry was good. I like that one. Mm-hmm. And then I think the obvious highlight is Nasty with Ashanti and Megan Thee Stallion. Um, those two had previously linked on Cash Shit last year off Megan's debut tape, or mm-hmm. second tape, and uh, Ashanti, nice to hear from her. That's not something we say all that often. So other than that, I really was uh, pretty bored with it. I didn't mind Drop with A Boogie, you know. Uh, a Boogie who, sure. has he dropped an album? That we've talked about in a long we time? We did not talk about the last one. Okay. Or, that's actually, the last two. Um, mm. I like the. I, I didn't like the, the, the most recent one, but Hoodie Season from uh, early 2019. I like that one. That was good. We skipped over that one. But I feel like every time he jumps on, I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, it's something decently interesting. Um, but that, that's kind of the sad thing is that's where I'm at with this album. Uh, even the, the decent showings, I'm like, huh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. That, that one stood out. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think nasty is by far the, the standout for this. Um, I also thought I, I'd liked the album cover, uh, having the, the mask on very much yep, at the moment. So, uh, the baby, I, I think he's one of these stars that 
really rides on the the current cultural wave that he's on and maybe after this he'll slow down a little bit and focus on a different project but ride that wave man get cash those checks we'll see mm-hmm. yeah. um a, a group a duo that is not really riding that wave so much but taking some time to make some really artistic shit division um dropping their first album in three years follow-up to 2017's morning after uh before that they had dropped their first album uh september 5th in 2016 so a little while since we heard from these guys how did you feel about a muse in her feelings dave division's 2020 album yeah i actually liked this a lot i thought division's third record was smooth as shit yeah and (laughs) you know just kind of got me thinking that uh Signing to Drake has not really worked out for anyone. Division have been lauded pretty much this whole time, three albums in, but they're not popular at all, despite being signed to OVO Sound. And, you know, uh, 1985, part of this uh, duo, the producer, he's made a name for himself through working with Drake. He has three Grammy noms in one win. Uh, You know, he made co-produce Hotline Bling and One Dance and Just Hold On, We're Going Home. He was nominated for Producer of the Year because of views. Like, these guys, uh, when people Drake signs people, they do a lot of good stuff for Drake. But, like, what does Drake bring it to the tail for the other guys? Clearly, these, are, these, these guys have a really nice, I think, feel for modern R&B. Yeah. And they should have a much bigger profile. Definitely. I mean, this, this album... Um, I, I, I agree with the assessment. It's very smooth and it really is like classical R and B kind of mashed together with some like neo funk and soul sound throughout and some, Mm. um, production blemishes or, uh, production flourishes, I should say from 1985. Like you mentioned, I think the production on this is the thing that stands out by far the most, um, along with some really I think excellent features throughout and choice features, you know, it's what the biggest profile name on here. I mean, I guess you could maybe argue summer Walker, but would be future or party next door. Uh, But dollar sign as well. Yeah. So there's a, Oh, I didn't actually even see dollar sign. Yeah, He's weird. He's like listed as like a co-headliner on the song and not in like the feature. I I hate the way people are stupid with their dangerous city with track listings. Yeah. So gotcha. And pop cans um, so, on here yeah i i think you're right they are choice like summer walkers coming off a really big 2019 in the r&b space that, that was a smart one to get and this is i think future at, at his best this is i think when this kind of stuff future fans really like when he's making this kind of stuff so yeah yeah the guests were great yeah the guests and, and the guests felt like they really fit in it never felt like you know we we talked last week about i forgot who it was but i said like you know, it sounds like that. That's that's a, a guest song, and they're just they're just kind of hosting them on it. But it, it never felt that way with this. Uh, it felt like this was very much still of the album, and the album felt like a whole, like a project as a whole, not just like a compilation of songs. Especially in the middle, where you go from uh, "Dangerous City" to "So What," to "Outlandish," to keep it going. It's just transition, 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 mm-hmm. and it goes together so well. Um, while also varying the tempo of, of the album, um, but kind of still keeping the cohesiveness really impressive. Um, I loved just the overall vibe of listening to this. And a song like Outlandish 
going in to keep it going was such an interesting transition to me because outlandish was almost like hypnotic in a sense like i found myself just kind of like feeling like i was like melting into the song and then keep it going kind of comes in and it's such like more of a clubby like a uh, dancey song it's right great transition i really was impressed with that any moments or, or anything from the album that really stood out to you songs perhaps um, yeah you know i think just listening you know daniel daly he's the performer mm-hmm. part of the duo kind of reminds me a lot of like think trey songs as a performer but mm. this is like more when trigger's doing like the you know the more traditional r&b less pop stuff you know the, the more sultry sensual um sometimes sad boy shit you know i think that, mm. that that's what it's going for but it's going good and and daniel he he has a you know, really really strong falsetto and he's able to harmonize with a lot of these guests pretty well like hearing him with someone yeah. like summer walker or dollar sign when you have people that are just talented vocalists and they can actually match up well together i think it really really can stand out um i think that the, the the weird highlight for me completely unexpected on a muse towards the end uh that flips dead presidents by jay-z of all yeah. beats what a pull <laughs> awesome yeah no i i know i noticed that and i actually like had to go check the notes because i was like if i is that right. real am i like mm-hmm. imagine that um yeah you, i think you made a great point about uh the the harmonizing i think it i I can't remember and i I wish i'd written written it down because i was um i actually listened to this while driving which i think added to it because this feels like a really great driving album to me um i think there's moments with both snow allegra on between us and then again with chantel may where he they they hit these like notes together at the same time that just it's almost like uh perfection in harmonizing and i was just really blown away um you know i, I had heard of division uh i did not know that they were called division though i thought it was dvsn so that was news to me um but i really gotten into them like this you know i, I like i knew a couple like one or two songs off them and i'm hoping it gains some traction because i think they definitely deserve a little bit more uh noticed than, than they're getting um what would you say is your favorite song from this? Uh, I'm, I think Dangerous City, probably. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, I, I guess sometimes some songs maybe just fade, it, fade into the back. But I think a lot of them can, you know, really just sound really good. So especially the ones with the guests. But I think Dangerous City was my favorite. I agree. That, that was one of my favorites, too. I already mentioned Outland. So we'll add Dangerous City to our Nostalgia Best of 2020. And now let's move on to Fiona Apple. So Fiona Apple dropping this fifth album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Uh, Dave, what what was your relationship to Fiona going into this? Uh, It's interesting to see the the different uh, ways people talk about her on the internet. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I wanted to start too. Uh, I think Fiona Apple is someone who, if you weren't, exposed to her you probably weren't going to like know who she was partially because of her uh lack of output this is only her third album in the last 20 years and she blew up when i was you know three and a half years old so it's not (laughs) she's not exactly someone who's like been in like the mainstream consciousness mainly because that's how she wanted to be um so like i just kind of knew of like the plaudits but never really um 
had dived too far in, but I just ran back the uh, first two records, the 90s ones, mm-hmm. leading up cool. to this, which both are great. And yeah, she's just kind of a badass, man. Yeah. And that uh, is certainly true off this new one, man. Um, but all the incredible uh, critical acclaim, I think right now it's still the highest rated album on Metacritic of all time at the moment. As wow. more, more reviews flow in, that's subject to change, of course. But right now it's the highest rated. Pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, Fiona Apple, in my mind, almost is like this mythic type of figure because her output is always getting acclaim it's always top notch but she doesn't have that much output like you mentioned so um even before this she hadn't released an album in eight years uh the idler wheel is wiser than uh the driver of the screw and whipping cords well it's this very long album title but i think when when i think about fiona apple kind of like what i picture of her is really just this like badass songwriter who has such a distinct and cutting and uh, introspective voice that really speaks to, I think, not only like femininity, but just like relationships in general um, in in a way that no one else really ever talks about the subjects she does. And even on this album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, by far the things that that stands out, apart from her ability to like craft songs in a way that are, are very specific to her it's just the way that the way that she writes lyrics and kind of ties things together and even like some of the word choices she has are just so unique to her um and really just fantastically constructed it's it's uh she's a uh, obviously a master of songwriting and that's i think by far her strongest strength and it comes across throughout this whole album what was your experience listening to the album were you as blown away as people were uh, online yeah man i thought it was really great just because it's such a clearly such a realized vision and when that's coming from someone as talented and in full command of songwriting as you said uh, it stands out but even though just like the kind of vocals choices she'll make maybe to like have her songs play out there's just so many like almost out there moments but they just totally land because everything just feels like it's part of this like greater symphony so like yeah i think really from the jump you kind of you kind of get that i think shamika lyrically starts to really kick it off a lot i mean about fiona's relationship with women in general you know i think later on obviously a song like ladies is much more um satirical almost but the whole thing about like being um still cool with um your ex's new girlfriend. It doesn't need to be any animosity. It's a really kind of great observation. And she goes about it in a really funny way. Um, but then there's also some like much darker shit, like, you know, definitely like me too with Jace about, I mean, she literally mentions being raped at one point on this and uh, I forget what's on the same that was, bed but, you get birth in. Right. Um, newspaper, you know, so there's a, there's a lot here. I think it's something that really requires lots of listens because a lot of the songs, have a lot going on so you really just need to focus on each one of them but yeah i thought it was awesome you know it's it's interesting because this album just kind of popped up right and it seems like she's just kind of been recording this on her own in in her home in venice and um uh, it's obvious that she's she has a lot to say and uh i think it's pretty fascinating that she decided to drop it at this time 
with everything kind of going on and um that she really just like made some very choice decisions in terms of what she want to talk about like a song that resonated probably most with me was the title track uh, fetch the bolt cutters not only do i think that's a really uh interestingly but uh, expertly constructed song there's also this aspect to it where she's talking about like wanting to be like uh like she wants to escape from the situation that she feels very trapped in and has felt trapped in for a long time and um to have like the dog barking in the background uh, like around the chorus just feels like a nice metaphor that she just kind of throws in there along with it and also to have it drop during this fucking quarantine where i think a lot of us feel very trapped and feel very stuck in a situation we don't they have control over it's it just feels like it's such a, a song of the moment well so i don't know if she actually wrote it for this moment it, it works on so many different levels really impressive what other yeah, songs I, like stood out to you i i think go ahead no i was just kind of echoing what you were saying like none of none of the messages feel overly preachy or over the top it's just kind of like fits the whole vibe of the album and like you can like draw some like obvious parallels to things from what she's saying but nothing is like super um in your face which i liked as well um as, as far as songs though, i think i already mentioned a lot i also really liked relay thought mm-hmm. that one sounded really good um but yeah in general like the instrumentation throughout it's really good yeah. that yeah the the chorus the way it just kind of it actually feels like it's like going around in a circle on relay i think really adds to the the track um yeah I, I, you know the thing is that there's no skips on this album and the album flows together really well um similar to division but yeah fiona just uh, again i think this just adds to that mythicism in my mind because it's like you come around eight years later just drop a fire album and then who knows the next time we'll we'll hear from her um i do have to say her like public persona really jives like with me like she just feels like so like perfectly like uh not a celebrity like she uh she posted a video on twitter where she was like i got asked to to have my song used in something i didn't want it used in so i said no and then i was like wait what the fuck am i doing like and she i just i emailed them back and said yes because even though i don't really want my song associated with that like no one's gonna care and i just want the money so i can give it away to charity and i was like she was like if you're an artist and people want to give you money for your songs right now take it and give it away and i was just like such like a real thing that like you don't really hear celebrities just like talking about it's in that way like they are usually very protective and she's like who cares like this can there's so many bigger things going on just really right fit with her so yeah i think cool. she recently donated a, like a year's worth of royalties from criminal being used her biggest song being used in tv and movies and stuff so yeah i think that's a actually a really smart way to uh to, to approach it because you can definitely understand her like you know kind of like rock star attitude about not wanting to go that way so it, i think it just kind of speaks to the overall like maturity and mm. low-key high-mindedness of a lot of the lyrics on this album it just everything everything yeah. really connects and makes sense and it's kind of cool and like you said her her persona is uh i think just as appealing as the music at times definitely uh fetch the bolt cutters uh approved by nostalgia pod and pretty much everybody else on the internet 
So go give it a listen if you haven't. Um, let's jump to something else that seems to have a really high approval rating. The Last Dance, or I think it's just The Last Dance. Uh, mm-hmm. ESPN created a docuseries about Michael Jordan's final season with the Bulls, created by Jason Hare, um, who also did um, uh, Andre the Giant for HBO, which we, we also reviewed. So check mm-hmm. that out on our YouTube page. Dave, this is the, the first two episodes premiered last night. How, how are you feeling about The Last Dance in, after two episodes? You like it? Uh, yeah, I do like it. You know, it's it's going to be five weeks, ten parts. That's certainly it's a, lot, a lot of content. Some OJ Made in America shit right here. Um, but it's definitely a worthwhile endeavor because we're finally seeing this, the tape, the, the behind-the-scenes footage that was recorded for that 97-98 season that has just been sitting there unused because part of the agreement was that Jordan had to sign off on the use of this footage before it was used for anything. So just the fact that we're finally getting to see all this stuff, I think it is really cool. And obviously, you know, I wasn't, you know, cognitively aware of any of this happening at the time when it was happening in my young life. So, you know, it's certainly, I think, very informative a lot for, 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 for a lot of people. So it's a, I think there's, there's a lot to obviously be, be invested in with it. Yeah, it, it comes at such a perfect time. So it was moved up a couple of weeks in terms of its drop because of just, a, I think, the the need for content uh, for ESPN. Especially the ESPN, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is also, if you want to get a lot of eyes on something, dropping a Michael Jordan documentary when there's nothing else new to watch, uh, going to get some eyeballs. And there had been like uh, apparently i mean i wasn't privy to these conversations but there had been rumors in nba circles that you know there was all this amazing footage from this season uh because some i think it was adam silver actually who wasn't the commissioner at the time but was in the league office said mm-hmm. you know this is obviously coming apart we should go get some get some footage of what's going on um I saw on Twitter this this morning uh, a clip from I think it's either next one of the next week, week's episodes about Dennis Rodman uh, pulling Jordan in uh, to Phil Jackson's office to say he needed a vacation to Vegas during the NBA playoffs and it was funny because it shows Jordan telling the story and then it shows Rodman and Pippen and Phil Jackson all watching him tell the story on a phone and right. that, that just feels like such smart yeah. like. Like such an easy way to get viral moments going from something like this, like like seeing all these guys Jordan's story on camera, and then like being able to tweet about that and put it out there. And I think that's the thing that resonates most with this. Is um, I mean, obviously Michael Jordan is this mythic all time figure, probably the most popular athlete of all time. Uh, now followed by LeBron James and Tiger Woods at one point, maybe could have been in that conversation. And mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali too. Yeah, Muhammad Ali, good point. Um, but you ha- already have this like mythic figure everybody wants to tune into, and then you have all these other parts that you're focusing on. You have, you know, Dennis Rodman and his zaniness. You have Phil Jackson's last season and kind of being pushed out and his like Zen masterness. I thought actually the second episode about Scottie Pippen was mm-hmm. really fascinating because I, I feel like I don't really know a ton about his story. I always kind of in Michael's shadow, so hearing how he like took this really shitty contract and then that kind of pushed the drama forward with this final season because he was so pissed about everything, uh, you know, wanting a new contract and uh, the, the GM of the bulls, uh, what yep. was his name? Um, Jerry Krause. Yeah. 
villainized in these first two episodes. Oh, yeah. Definitely not the player in power in era we know today. It's kind of <laughs> wild. It just has a document to look back on the uh, amount of control the management still had over the players. Nowadays, star player is usually going to get what they want. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool to see that, you know. And obviously, I think I think the, maybe the overall big appeal beyond the mystery of what it actually is in this footage is that uh, Jordan is pretty known for being a really competitive guy who's often a big dick asshole right and probably had his own demons with like gambling and stuff we're gonna see a lot of that now yeah and jordan's gonna talk about and address that because he's on board with this doc so um even if it doesn't go all the way that's still um obviously really appealing stuff and i think also stuff that you know a lot of people again probably don't know a ton about they just kind of know um just top level stuff so like you know i'm looking forward to seeing him just even now, Jordan just talk when he looks at the tape and stuff and like talk shit about Isaiah Thomas because he just can't stand him still. You know, that kind of stuff's mm-hmm. great. Um, as a Knicks fan, I'm not happy to see Phil Jackson talk, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I am looking forward to watching the rest of this, obviously, but I'm also uh, expecting to leave this just being like, wow, Michael Jordan, really not that great of a person. Jerry Krause, really not that great of a person. Like, um, although I do think the, the Jordan access in this and him actually telling some of these stories forthcoming is probably the part I'm most fascinated by. Like MJ, like give me all your, your inside stories. I, lo- I loved hearing the Ainge one where him and Ainge played golf together mm-hmm. and then he dropped, uh, what, 60 points, 61 points the next day. Yep. Uh, I guess the Celtics and playoffs, crazy. <laughs> Definitely looking forward to it. I'm sure we'll check in at the end. Uh, any last thoughts on the last dance, though? Um, nah, man. But uh, LeBron's still better. <laughs> uh, well, someone that I'm not sure is is better, but definitely still a, a a queen in their own right is Kate Blanchett, and she is the star of Mrs. America, uh, Davi Waller's newest uh, mini series for FX on Hulu about Phyllis. Schlafly. Um, it's a mouthful. And basically how her story and the story of women the, the women's rights movement in the nineteen sixties and into the seventies kind of came about um at the same time and how she's on the opposing side of all this. Very uh the first three episodes dropped on uh Hulu. Um and man, I like devoured these episodes. I was really enjoying the the storytelling and and just really intrigued by the time period you know and this is a time period that is talked about ad nauseum you know Nixon right after uh, 1969 and everything with that and just like the Vietnam there's just so much going on that's very fascinating but this is a story that I feel like I haven't really seen depicted um, in TV movies and I think that's probably played a part into why I was so in on this did you have the same experience I did watching. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, it's, I mean, the talent of the of the production stands out, but even just the, I think where they're trying to take this with you know, like like you said, se- like second wave feminism in the seventies, and just kind of centered around the equal rights amendment, and which has been in the news uh, a little more recently too. So you can you, you mean no real spoilers for this kind of stuff, but you know, seeing you know a lot of times when we when we talk about that stuff, it's really d- directly about the counterculture stuff, right? Vietnam and sixty nine and all that, right? But this is 
focusing on that our lead character is against that and ultimately is going to succeed in a certain sense. And it's kind of about the bad guys, you know, like Barry Goldwater is, is in the first one. And Barry Goldwater, despite being Korean by LBJ in the presidential election, basically formed uh, the conservative playbook that we see today. So, and seeing uh, Phyllis Schlafly's, uh, you know, role in, in, in helping mobilize that stuff. And from what I've gathered, it's going to, uh, I think, be, be a little tougher to swallow as we watch more episodes. It's, uh, I think it's really engaging. And like, obviously, Kate Blanchett, of all people, being on TV, like, come on, right? man, she's so good. <laughs> yeah, she she's fantastic. But the cast is stacked. I mean, um you have Rose Byrne playing Gloria Steinem and Mm -hmm. you know, she's probably like second billing in this, but even the bit players, like you have Margot Martindale, um, Mm -hmm. who's just a fantastic uh, character actor. You have John Slattery playing Mars, that, that skeezy Senator. Um, Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, there's this person after person that, you know, throughout the cast and, um, the acting is top notch. The storytelling is great, and yeah, Blanche. Every time she's on screen, uh, you're you're just mesmerized by her. And I think what I really love about the storytelling is it sets her up in the first like episode or two to be like this really smart figure who like almost feels like impenetrable in some senses. Like every time a challenge comes at her, you see her like pairing it away or logicking her way around it or just like being the smartest person in the room and then as she's kind of like moving up the ladder in terms of the her her foes or her political foes in this sense you start to kind of see that fall apart and how there's really like these these kind of cracks in her logic and the, just kind of her, her her thirst for hunger kind of sets her up to look like a fool at times and um, to to lose a lot of serious uh, or a lot of her actual relationships, like especially with Sarah Paulson and uh, the other friend there that I can't, I, I don't recall the, the actress's name, but I, I think it really like the way it sets her up in the first two episodes and then the third episode starts to really move that in a different direction. I, I was really intrigued by not only the political side of things, but also Mrs. Schlafly's personal life as well is, is poignant. Right. Yeah, and I think like if you're watch if you're watching this and maybe like didn't know the history, didn't look anything up, you like you'd see in the beginning how it sets up Phyllis to like she's she's kind of noticing the obvious biases against women of the time culturally and the sentiments of men and within government and all that stuff, right? And you think, oh, maybe this will push her more to the left, more to the progressive side, but no, she's actually going to completely double down and only get even mm. more invested in this and, and, and I think ultimately going to feel satisfied. Like she died a few years ago, but like the last book she published was like the case for Trump. So it's like, she was very happy with how, how she went about <laughs> this. It's just kind of funny the way it presents it where you're like, really, that, that, that's what you decided. You are going to double down on all, all, all the, 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 the understated sexism of the time. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good yeah. stuff. <laughs> definitely good stuff um looking forward to it. i think it's only eight episodes so i'm i think they're going to be releasing one a week from now on so we'll probably be finishing up late may if if uh, my math yep. is right um but really looking forward to the rest of it also just love the style it is kind of shot a little bit like grainier almost like sepia tone in some some mm-hmm. cases 
so it kind of gives it that like 70s feel a bit um but yeah looking forward to finishing this one up also was looking forward to starting season two of what happens in the shadows what we do in the shadows i'm sorry um so I was looking forward to starting season two of what we do in the shadows. Uh, Jermaine uh, Clements uh, show for FX based off of the Taika Waititi short film from early 2000s uh, or 2010s. And um, season one we reviewed, and I think you were a little higher than I was on it. Um, the humor didn't always hit for me the same way it did for most people. It got really good reviews after season one. Um, but the first two episodes first two episodes of season two I, I thought were fantastic and i think the the two things i liked the most were focusing on uh guillermo how he's like protecting them from like the vampires but he can't like tell them about it and like that right. conflict really i think adds to the vampires and, and guillermo's like relationship being so like opposite of what where guillermo wants it to be but perfect for the where the rest of the vampires want it to be but also i thought the second episode where they have like their their spirits um kind of come out and like they like they have to like settle them so to speak that was such a smart way to like i mean it was i thought it was hilarious like a lot of it but it's such a smart way to like also build those characters out a little bit and to like understand them a little bit more um just really seemed to uh, i just thought that was brilliant so i'm i'm a lot more in on this season so far than i was season one how are you feeling about season two yeah i I like these two episodes as well uh so funny dude (laughs) like Did you uh, did you satisfy your ghost? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> and like the whole thing, the way they set that up too, yeah. it's like they're like uh, ghosts. No, I don't believe in ghosts. That's preposterous. These fucking vampires that fly around turn the bats, but they don't believe in ghosts. That's where they draw the line. Like it was such a, right. a really funny, so good. Um, and then Haley Joel Osment <laughs> guest starring in the first one as a yes. Topher who becomes a zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like whether it's like the high five bit that they bring back when he's a zombie, <laughs> like uh, I thought that was awesome. And yeah. Benedict Wong being this like necromancer who's really just this grifter peddling shit. Like uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was just really funny. And I agree with what you're saying. Like sometimes the humor isn't as doesn't land as well. I think uh, there's a lot of jokes in it, so they just kind of throw them out to you. And I think w- when they do land, though, it's like really good laughs. Like once. Uh, Osmond became a zombie in the first episode. I was just laughing for the rest of, rest of the runtime. So yeah, you know, like, it's like when it hits, it like really hits. And you know, I mean, they had a lot of good guest spots last season, particularly in the trial episode and with Nick Kroll and I mean, two big ones in this first episode. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more of that and the fourth wall be, being broken constantly per the mockumentary presentation of it all. And yeah, and uh, we haven't even gotten a whole lot of Colin Robinson yet, and he's just like always funny. So yeah it's good yeah no it's it's really good and um i'm looking forward to being a little bit more into it this season i think uh you know i think also the way i watched last season i binged it a lot i'm gonna try to keep up with it week to week so i think that might keep me a little bit more engaged and uh a little bit more into the jokes but yeah the the writing on this show is very smart and um Jermaine Clement wasn't a part of the the writing or directing any of these, but he is in the last couple episodes. There's only seven this season, I believe. And uh, I'm looking forward to his touch because I know that just the overall conflict too of like the vampire, was it like league or like tenant being after them is right. really um, an interesting, like uh, uh, overarching plot in all of this. Yeah, it's uh, 
um, you know, it's it's a, it's a I think it's a fun bit of escapism, especially at this time, because you know yeah. it's set in our yeah. real world, but still, like you know, set in what Staten Island is where they live, but like you know, it's a uh, yeah, it's fun. So I'm I mean, I'm, I'm I'm similar to you too. I'm looking forward to keeping up with it week to week as opposed to binging it all at the end. So yeah, with it, um, FX doing well. Yep, and I they they had another hit in, in my opinion with devs, or should I say, Deus. Dun, dun, dun. Alex, <laughs> the Alex Garland uh, is mini series that just wrapped up. Um, we we reviewed the first what episode or two, I think of it, and I think so. Yeah, the first two, and I think we we what we enjoyed most was the style and a very intriguing story. You know, this tech genius creating this um, this computer um, that can almost like see into the past and also apparently the future, which we didn't know at that time. Um, and uh, almost is like this godlike machine um, that uh, this Russian person, Russian agent tried to steal, killed, and then Lily is thrown into trying to kind of sort everything out. Um, I thought this series was really good, but something just felt i think a little bit off um for me like it, it was it's probably like an 8 or a 9 out of 10 for me but there was just something that felt like it didn't totally stick the landing that kind of left me being like huh but i will say after self thinking about it for like two or three days and i i still am trying to like grapple with what exactly i take away from it in terms of what it means about uh determinism versus free free will and that that's really what's at the center of this um so dave with with me kind of giving this preamble how are you feeling about devs as a whole nine of ten ten of ten where are you where are you rating it yeah i agree that it's like it, it's not a it doesn't fully land it, it's a lot it's quite similar to i think annihilation is second directorial debut from Garland where it, it's a bit of a more polarizing reception. It really just depends on if it connects with the audience. Cause there's, I think things that Garland consistently always does well, right? It's casting, um, set design, directing choices. You think of stuff like the Amaya statue or the devs complex, you know, just really stark visuals that always stand out uh, the halos and in, in the, uh, in the forest, right? Uh, in episode seven when Kenton's dead, like his eye looking out mm-hmm. through like the blanket stuff like there's obvious touches. Right. Um, but like thematically, all those themes are awesome and you're still thinking about them, but it's like, does the story ultimately like deliver on what you want? And I think there are, there are weak points to it. I still really like it. I'm still really happy with it, but like, I think there's weak points to it because I think some of the dialogue was a little stilted at times and it didn't really help Lily. Like Lily is, our lead character but lily ultimately does not become that interesting a lot of times she's like saying things like what how why like she, she's just kind of like yeah he's kind of speaking simply and like when you have that see that episode where like they go to a uh, so forest house flat. and like she's just kind of being like that's what this means oh like it it, it doesn't really go anywhere right and like, meanwhile, she's just kind of getting acted off the screen by Allison Pill, who's like 
low-key like psychotic the whole time but like in a really scary way because it's more about how um katie is really upset accepting of everything they're doing you know and like yeah so i I think everything with katie and forest i really liked and almost wanted more of it because i think it really more spoke to the themes whereas lily i think kind of was more up and down and i mean jamie uh jamie died as he lived right he's a total simp right we can say that <laughs> yeah jamie uh t- tough look for my guy um i i appreciate him being a supportive friend and partner but man uh really just kind of got worked throughout this whole thing is a good one because I-, I think uh sonia mizuno who played lily definitely could use a little bit more seasoning um because like even in the episode where they go to forest house and she's sitting across from uh uh allison pill playing katie um rather than like lily being like this is what i'm telling you or this is what i'm gonna do it's, it's, she's so flat the whole time i almost i almost wonder if that was like a an acting choice or a directing choice because i i know Gar- garland in a way I felt like wanted there to be like a roboticness to some of the dialogue and some of the interactions. It's just this overall like idea that like what's going to happen is almost like, like we're robots that are on this like path that we can't see. And Lily even like speaks that directly in the final episode. But man, I I really thought Alison Pill and Nick Offerman when they were together were just fantastic. And it's it's the little things, right? It's like that that final scene where you you know you see Nick Offerman uh, show her show Lily what she's going to do, and you, he looks over and you can see like the tears welling up in his eyes because he's like afraid but also accepting that like this has to happen so that the ultimate goal will be achieved. And just the way he like slightly breaks, I thought was fantastic. The way Allison Pill goes from being like so calm and collected to like losing her shit to like let's just do it then just like put like it's mm. that final episode is such an encapsulation i think of everything that's like really good and really not great about um or maybe where it missed i wouldn't say not great but where mm-hmm. the show missed a little bit um anyways a couple of things i wanted to go over how did you feel about zach grenier who played canton in this uh very mike urban trout-esque just fucking <laughs> murdering people dude uh, I thought he was really menacing and it, I kind of like, it was kind of weird realizing that he's just, re- he just became really like disassociated from Forrest and the rest of the Maya. And he was just kind of like on his own bent of like tying up loose ends. And it's like mm-hmm. overall, like the, I think the, the strict plot of the show kind of flattened out by the end and Kenton's rolling it kind of, it's like, all right, well now Ken's just going to die. Like that's all, but I I, I like the mm-hmm. I like I liked his presence. I thought he was really scary. Yeah, I I thought he was good, but it also at times I was like, I don't know if it worked for me completely. Him being so like, I don't know, like Terminator esque. Like my dude, like battled with this Russian agent and had like a knockdown drag him out fight where they both were like really messed up, and the next day goes and like is driving Lily to the psych hospital where she crashes him into like a head on collision where he's knocked out. And then just 
a couple hours later, it was like at the house, like torturing Jamie. He really was like Terminator. Like, and meanwhile, he's like five eight, 180 pound old man. I'm like, damn, I don't know. Didn't, didn't <laughs> always uh, feel believable, but still really fun to watch. I also, I, I wanted to check in and see how you felt about Lyndon and uh, Stuart, who were like yeah. the two main like side engineers at devs who had a pretty significant role in the series. How did you feel about their two yeah. performances? I think for Stuart, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson's just such a welcome presence whenever he shows up at anything. That's just awesome seeing him. He's so good. Um, and Lyndon, you know, I think Lyndon has like those two really good moments, obviously where he has the falling out with Forrest where he's like, no, my shit works. You're asking for the impossible in terms of like the realizing the multiverse versus the one specific universe that Forrest is seeking. And, you know, when you, when you see Jesus on the cross speaking Aramaic, like, that's a really wild moment. And then I think Lyndon, of course, yeah. at the end, when that Lyndon dies amazing. at the dam after talking to Katie, that one again, um, I thought was re- really kind of hits the themes home in, in, in an effective way. And, you know, he's also sticking his arms out. like He's on the cross, you know, look at that um but yeah in terms of like yeah. Stuart, Stuart actually being the one to like make sure the quote-unquote uh future happens the way it's supposed to that one kind of threw me for a loop because i didn't realize he was as um like lost in the sauce the way katie and forrest were yeah but i like both of them yeah i thought they both were good i didn't realize Lyndon was played by a uh, female um uh, kaylee spiley spivey uh played Lyndon and is a has been in a couple of things which kind of threw me for a loop a bit but I thought they both were really fascinating and I thought Lyndon especially like that scene you mentioned where you hear Jesus speaking Aramaic on the cross is fucking an amazing scene but also then really highlights the obsession that Christ has and unclear when he basically like have Lyndon killed in front of everybody it's like (laughs) this is what's gonna happen if you tell anybody about this it's like oh shit like this guy really is just like a a crazy psychopath but then i i didn't leave the series feeling like that's like the clear villain like i felt like all the characters maybe beside katie who is just kind of like this crazy genius um but you're you're kind of giving some sweetness when her and forrest connect but forrest who really is like the main villain quote unquote i felt like i could empathize with his motivations and like his just this is a desire to try to have back this thing that was so important to him that he lost obviously doing it in like a very unethical way but i thought garland did a good job of telling the story in that sense um so now why don't we like transition a bit to how are you feeling about Alex Garland's works in total now? Because well, we have Ex Machina, we have Annihilation, now we have Devs slash Deus, however you want to go about it. And this is almost, obviously now you think about Ex Machina and Deus together as just kind of right. two pieces of a whole, or at least connected in some sense. And I wonder if Annihilation even is somehow connected as well. Do you do you dig what Garland is doing in terms of terms of building this like shared universe across his films? Uh oh yeah, I mean I think the reason Garland's so appealing is because thematically 
he just challenges the viewer. And, e- and even in moments where something doesn't totally land or work, like with devs, I think everyone's still pretty charitable to the overall pr- uh, output because of how stimulating it still is, you know? Like devs, I think what, what, what I really liked about devs on the surface was that we weren't spending half the season being like, what is devs? What are they working on? You know, basically right away because it's interested with more interesting questions, you know? Just doing basic mystery box stuff, it feels so beneath what Alice Garland's interested in when it comes to like science fiction themes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think he's really impressive. And, you know, um, whether he sticks with TV or goes back to movies, who's to say, you know, Annihilation, um, Paramount kind of um, sold him out on that in terms of not really promoting it and selling its international uh, rights before release. So maybe he's more apt to stick with a place like FX where they'll just give him a lot of rope and let him do what he wants. Who knows? But yeah, I'm still very, very much pro Mm -hmm. pro Garland. Yeah. He takes big swings and asks big questions that like like you said, even when it doesn't totally land, you're still left with very thought provoking content, which I, I really welcome. Um, And he doesn't necessarily, like you said, like you kind of mentioned, he doesn't present it in the way that a lot of people do. He kind of just like puts it out there and lets you make sense of it how you want to for yourself. A lot of very like open-ended things that you're allowed to interpret, which I appreciate. You know, don't don't treat me like I'm five. Treat me like I'm however old I am. Right. Um, and I I also like that because Garland doesn't like focus on like the the mystery box of it all. I didn't even find myself thinking about until the very end, like, oh, what does Dev stand for again? Like I found myself a lot more wrapped up in what was happening, like episode to episode where the plot was going, what the questions were that were asked. And then when he does drop something like, oh yeah, the, the, the V is Roman, it's Deus. I was like, oh, like I totally forgot that that was probably something I should be trying to figure out or should be like waiting for the reveal of. So I just kind of accepted this is the world and there's a lot of other interesting things going on. So it works on a lot of different levels. Stylistically, I think he's has a great eye and sets things up in such a beautiful manner that a lot of times I, I could have even overlooked the misses because it just looks so great. So uh, I mean, on Alex Garland is a, a creator, man. I, I don't know really how you couldn't be at this point, even though his stuff isn't perfect. It's still top notch. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. So we'll wrap up there for this week. What do we got next week? Extraction, right? We'll see. You can do that. We doing we'll, it? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, Bad Education, the film on HBO. The by the time you're hearing this, the plot against America and Better Call Saul will have aired their finales. So we got plenty of digging with that. And Fabio Forens dropping his debut album as well, which is called something like 800 BC before Corona, I believe is the name, something like that. So, sure, let's go. Thanks, Fivey. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure some other, other things will pop up, so we'll be yep. talking about them as they come. But uh, to catch all that, hit that subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitter at NostalgiaPod, and go to SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. As always, follow us anywhere you want to. Stay safe and healthy. We appreciate you. Peace out.